thank you, Katrina, for, for reading the word. We have been going through a series in First Thessalonians, Tom and I, and in the coming weeks we'll talk about uh, more fully the, the full extent of what Paul is saying in this letter to the Thessalonian church. Um, and then also, I'm, I'm going to take a little... How am I going to describe this? Next week is a family service, so I'm going to kind of go back to our uh, series in the benefits of the resurrection and the ascension. So I think we last had a message on that like a couple months ago, but I'm going to go back and talk about Jesus as king next week. So if you guys are here next week and you are expecting something in First Thessalonians, um, we're not going to speak from that, so just FYI. Um, but today we are going to be in First Thessalonians, and last week, Pastor Tom, he spoke about um, a leader. What, what is a leader in the church? Um, how do you, uh, what should leaders be like? And I'll be talking about that a little bit more um, in just a few moments. And right now, just uh, I want to give you, uh, to remind us, to orient us uh, about what this letter of the First Thessalonians is about. So this was written to the Thessalonian church by Paul, and this was a faithful church. This was a church that Paul commended. He doesn't always commend all the churches that he writes to, but the Thessalonian church, he says, I've seen how you have been faithful, and you are living as if Jesus is returning. And later on in First Thessalonians, we'll be talking about the return of Christ, and how do we live in light of the return of Christ? And if you are part of our CGs, um, I think most of the groups will be going through this as well. What, what is it? How should we live in light of the fact that Jesus will return? So Paul, he, uh, throughout this letter to the Thessalonians, he, he commends them for enduring persecution. When they could be running, when they could be hiding, instead, the Thessalonians, they receive persecution from the opponents of God, and they're faithful, they stand firmly. And Paul, he writes this letter to the Thessalonian church saying, this is not going to last forever. Jesus will return. You will receive the reward for your faithfulness. So here is a letter to the Thessalonian church saying, good job, um, but more than just good job, uh, remain faithful, endure, do what is good. And as we look at these verses from First Thessalonians 2 this morning, I want us to consider the nature of ministry in the context of the local church. And of course, for us as IGC members, um, what does faithful ministry look like for us? By the grace of God, we'll have a new senior pastor with us in hopefully a couple months, and uh, some of you guys here participated in the vote, so thank God that he has provided for us. God has been faithful to us in this year plus that we've been without a senior pastor. Thank God for your faithfulness in Delville Grace Church. Thank God for the PSC who worked so hard to find the right person for this position. And this is a very exciting time for our church, and we should continue to celebrate God's provision and faithfulness to our church. But at some point, the excitement is going to wear off. At some point, we're just going to have, uh, we're not going to have any huge things to look forward to, perhaps. Maybe not a new staff member coming on board. And then what are we left with? We're left with a task with a mission. We're left with a community to serve. We're left with each other. And one one day, um, the excitement of Pastor Jesse coming on board, it'll be gone. One day, if you guys aren't already bored with me, you will be bored with me as the associate pastor. 
And we're going to become more established in our identity, and we're going to become more solidified. So I think that this is good timing for us to think through what is it that's expected of us as a church, what's expected of the pastors of this church, the leaders of this church, and what's expected of you, the congregation. It's so important to have proper expectations. It's so important to communicate what the church what other people should be expecting from each other and from ourselves. And um, there's a let me let me give an example of just how important it is. So uh, this was in uh, this was this happened uh, close to 32, 33 years ago, uh, November 1990. There was a family. Uh, the parents' names were Peter and Peter and Kate. And they were, they lived in the suburbs of Chicago, and they, uh, they were going on this big family trip around Christmas time, and, um, they're gonna go to Paris. And while they're on the way to Paris, the parents realized, wait a minute, where's our son? I thought you were in charge. No, I thought you were in charge. They realized that they left their son, Kevin McAllister, at home. Because the proper expectations were not set. And you guys are laughing because you know this is a plot, the plot from Home Alone, right? Um, Kevin McAllister had to fend off these hapless robbers, scam artists, because his parents left him at home. Expectations were not set. And this is a fun example of what happens if expectations are not properly set. But for the church, it's all the more serious. There's so much more on the line. So I want us to have the proper expectations of the ministers who serve you at IGC, and I want us to have proper expectations of ourselves as the members of this church. If you've committed to this church, there are vows that you took, and last week as we inducted a couple new members, uh, you may have been reminded of these vows. You have a responsibility to each other. You have a responsibility to the church. You have a responsibility to the Lord. And... I've got three kind of sections, points, I guess, to the sermon um, as we go through the text. The first is the example set by Paul, or the expectations that we should place on those who are ministering to the church, the reception of the Thessalonian church, or for us, the expectations that we should have for ourselves, and finally, the opposition that's faced when the gospel is preached. So, my first uh, first section, my first point here is I'm just gonna. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go through the text and I'll explain to you what's happening. So, last week Pastor Tom he spoke about good leadership in the context of the church, and I'm gonna build upon what he spoke on. Verse nine. Uh, let me read it again. Uh, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Paul is telling the Thessalonian church, I and my associates, um, my fellow co-laborers, we preached the word to you. We ministered among you. And we did it in a way that didn't place a burden on you financially. There were no personal burdens placed on you. Because we wanted you to know that what we were doing was not about us. What we were doing was about preaching the gospel of God. And they said, 
We labored, we toiled, we did, we earned money for ourselves. We didn't place that financial burden on you so that you could receive the word of God without distraction or hindrance. So this word, uh, tent makers, that you may have heard, this is what Paul did. He was a tent maker. He worked a, another job so that he could provide for himself, so that he wouldn't need to draw money from these churches who perhaps, they're facing persecution, maybe didn't have the means to pay him. And to be fair, Scripture teaches that those who serve and teach in the church, that it's fair for them to be compensated by the church that they serve. But Paul, what does he do here? He says, I'm giving up that right. I'm going to sacrifice on top of my sacrifice to this church. I'm going to sacrifice my own time, my own energy, so that there is no burden placed upon you. And Paul is telling the Thessalonian church, I'm going to set a precedent. I'm setting an example that those who serve you, they should not be placing an undue and heavy burden on you because the church is not the place for that. And of course, what I'm saying is, um, I might be shooting myself in the foot. Um, I might be shooting uh, Pastor Jesse in the foot as he comes <laughs> comes uh, in a few, hopefully a couple months. Um, I'm not saying don't compensate those who serve. But I am saying it's not the responsibility of the church to provide everything um, to lavishly for those who serve the church. Just because... I'm a little bit more visible doesn't mean that I am all that more important. Neither is the case going to be for Pastor Jesse. Instead, we should be stepping back and saying, we are secondary tertiary. We don't matter in the grand scheme of things as long as the gospel of God is being preached. And Paul, he tells, he continues on. He says, not only did we not place this burden on you, but we also lived a life that was an example to you. Verse 10, you are witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So as Paul and his, his fellow ministers served the Thessalonian church, what he's saying here is this, that they lived among them. They saw the warts, the wrinkles of Paul. Paul probably got annoyed sometimes. Maybe he lost his temper sometimes. Maybe he just wasn't great at certain things. He lived and he served in such a capacity that the Thessalonian church, they had a relationship with him. And they could see their conduct. They could see what they were really like. Not how he was in front of the church like I am right now. They saw what he was like on Monday mornings and Saturday nights. And they saw a conduct. They saw an example being set for them. This is what it's like to follow Jesus, to live a life above reproach, to live a life of holiness. And Paul says, for your sake, church, this is what we did. And this is something not just for the pastors and elders of this church, but this should be the attitude that we take if you are serving in this church in any capacity. If you have any type of um, position above anyone else as a way of service, this should be the attitude that we have. Not just serving people, but also living among them. Also showing them, this is what it looks like in my own life to follow Jesus. There is a uh, 
The second shortest psalm in the uh, book of Psalms is Psalm 134. And if you uh, are kind of familiar with the structure of the book of Psalms, in the book of Psalms, there are 15 psalms that are specified as, they're called the Psalm of Ascents, the Psalms of Ascents. And these were psalms that captured the songs that the Israelites sang as they made their way to Jerusalem, the holy city, three times a year. They were singing, 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 um, thinking about how God had provided for them, about their their future, as the Lord will continue to provide for them. They would worship God. And Psalm 134, and I don't ha- we're not going to have it on the screen, but if you have it on your phone or your Bible, you can turn there, but I'll, I'll read it for you. Um, it's pretty short. Um, psalm 134 is a final psalm of the Psalm of Ascents. And... This is the psalm that was the last song that was sang as the psalm, as, as the pilgrims are. After they've made their way to Jerusalem, they're about to head back home. And uh, they're probably heading back um, in the early morning before sunrise to go back home. And Psalm 134 is a psalm for those who are last to leave. And these are, the people last to leave are those who have been serving the people, the, the priests. And um, they're cleaning up after everyone, and they are doing things that no one is going to recognize or acknowledge. And this is what Psalm 134 says. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Uh, let me read that line to you again, because this is important. Who stand by the night, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. I want to point out this line from Psalm 134. You servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Here is a psalm for those who have worked hard during this pilgrimage and they're left behind and people don't know that they're there. And what do they do? They act as security. They act as those who are picking up garbage. They're acting as those who have to lock the doors and turn off the lights. And here's a psalm for them. It's recognizing that they are doing something on behalf of the Lord for the sake of the people who are worshiping God. And for me and for those who serve in ministry, what it means is this, that our work will be done often in the dark, will often be done that's not recognized by people. And if you serve in ministry, if you serve at this church, you probably recognize that. You probably know that, right? People don't know how hard you work. People don't realize how much you sacrifice to serve other people in this church. No one but God knows. Lewis Allen, he wrote a book um, called The Preacher's Catechism, and this is what he says. Most of us are working the night shift. There are times when glory breaks in and God is powerfully present and at work among his people. Most of our work, though, is torchlight work carried out often in the dim light of faith. If you serve, people will not, if you truly serve, people will not recognize all the work that you're doing. God recognizes that. We have it in the psalm. Those who work in the night, often very mundane work, boring work, that's being done. And what does a psalm tell these priests, these janitors, these Levites, not Levites, these um, 
security guards, people who are not recognized. Verse 2, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. The response of these people should be, worship God. Worship God. Don't ask for recognition from other people. Don't ask for validation or affirmation. God sees that. God sees and he will honor your work. Worship God. Your act of service to other people, this is an act of worship. And when you feel tired and exhausted and discouraged, when you feel like you want to give up, when you feel unseen, it's okay to vent, perhaps. It's okay to be tired and exhausted. But ultimately, our response should be worship. Because this is what's going to shape our hearts in Delaware Grace Church. There can be no self-serving in the faithful church. No seeking a name or position for ourselves. If you've been paying attention in um, to pop culture lately, past few years, um, there have been a, a few documentaries and podcasts that have come out. Um, a couple years ago, there was one... Uh, I don't have to name it, but uh, one of the top podcasts of the 2021, I believe, um, talking about this church that imploded and the pastor that led this church. And uh, if you watch on Hulu, there's another uh, another uh, documentary about another big church, a uh, very famous pa- former pastor. Um, and these are documentaries, podcasts about these leaders of these churches who abused their authority and their power and their position, and how many people were harmed because they were not faithful servants, because they did not approach their work with humility. So many people are hurt if we don't have humility in our work, if we're looking for recognition, if we're looking for fame, if we're looking for some type of honor, But this is what I'm hearing, this is what I'm seeing in this text. That the pulpit, this place right here, the pulpit is not a platform for the pastor to show how smart he is. This is not a place for me to share my opinion. It's not a place for me to share my political preferences. It's not a place to defend my own actions. Otherwise, that wouldn't be, that would be what we call an abuse of the pulpit. The pulpit is not a place for the leader to speculate or to cast blame on people. The pulpit is a place where the word of the cross is preached. And this church is not a place for a pastor to find find fulfillment for his career. This is not a stepping stone to something bigger. The church is not a place for the leader, the pastor, the servants to be recognized. The church is not a piggy bank for the staff to draw from so they think they can live a comfortable life. This pulpit and this church, this is a place for the minister to serve people who will not have any idea about how many sacrifices he or she has made. The place, This church is a place for us to love people who will misunderstand us. It's a place where the pastor's name, the elders' names, your names will be lost in the mix and that the name of Jesus will be lifted high. This is the place 
where only the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached. Not how great the pastor is. Not how great and double grace church is. And I believe we have some really good things happening in this church. But don't attribute that to yourselves. It's not your honor to take. Paul continues on, verse 11, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonian church. He says, What I did for you, I, I may have developed structures for this church to grow. I may have given you a vision. I may have been able to help you build up this church. Maybe the Thessalonians had an awesome children's ministry. Maybe they had an awesome music ministry or an outreach ministry, whatever it was. Um, And I hope that our church and all the other faithful churches here in Castro Valley can have those things. But ultimately, at the heart of Paul's ministry was an exhortation to them to live a certain way. And David mentioned earlier, just do we view ourselves as children? And Paul viewed himself as a father to those in the Thessalonian church. What does a father do? A father loves his children. A father encourages them. A father sacrifices for them. A father holds his child's hand as he's learning or she is learning to walk. And this was Paul's example to the Thessalonian church. This is what I did for you, church. My goal was not to build a church. My goal was to lead you as you learn to follow Jesus, as you learn to live a life worthy of the God who called you. So for us in Delbo Grace Church, leadership is not ultimately about creating and building up an organization. It's about leading people to Jesus, teaching them what it means to follow Jesus and helping them follow Jesus. This is not just my job or the elders' jobs. It's, it's your job as well. It's your job as well. This is a great commission in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to be disciples of Jesus. We have a couple really great descriptions of what ministry really should be like. Ephesians 4, Paul writing again, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is the work of those who lead the church. This is the work of those who minister to equip the work for the saints for the work of ministry so that they too can do ministry. It's to establish those who belong to the church. You guys will hear a lot of stuff from other ministers, ministries, um, popular culture saying, these are the things that are true. Things that will make you question what the Bible teaches. Things that will make you question whether it's worth it to follow Christ. Whether it's worth it to be remain uncompromising on the truths of Scripture. And real good faithful ministry will teach those in the church how to withstand those. And there's 
if you just pay attention to the news. Um, there's going to be a whole lot more things that will challenge your faith in the coming years. It's not going to get better. Um, hopefully, we at Indelible Grace Church can teach in a way that's faithful, and hopefully we can take that to hearts. Colossians 1.28, Paul again speaking, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the job of the ministers, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Um, I, I heard a, uh, a pastor speak a while ago, and um, he's talking about He's in ministry for a long time, and um, he was talking about these churches that are always trying to attract more people and trying to um, build the churches to really big. And I understand. I, I when I was in seminary, I was in Southern California, and if you know Southern California Christian culture, it's a certain way. Um, people want to grow their churches. They want to have cool stuff. And I was part of one of these churches who had cool stuff, and I can tell you stories. Um, but uh, I was listening to this pastor, and he, he said, why would anyone want to have a big church? Why would anyone who takes his job as a pastor seriously want a big church? Because you know what? One day you're going to give an account for everyone that was under your authority to God. Would you want a thousand people to give an account for before God? I don't. Maybe some people can, but I. would you want... Ten people? Would you want one person to give an account for? I can barely give an account for my own life. And this is not any knock on big churches. I'm grateful for big churches. I'm grateful that they have the resources they do, and they do good work. Not a knock on big churches, but this is an attitude that we have to consider. What is our goal as Indelible Grace Church? Is it to present others mature um, before God, or is it to have something big and grand and awesome? Something for us to consider. So this is the expectation for those who lead the church, those who minister. When you look at leaders in the church, you should have biblical expectations of them. Don't expect us to be cool or charismatic or sexy. Um, probably not going to happen here. Um, expect them to be faithful. Expect them to be true to what Scripture teaches. This is what we need at Indelible Grace Church, especially as we enter this next season. I don't know what is coming for Indelible Grace Church in the coming years. I think it's going to be good, um, but part of that responsibility, a lot of it falls on you, actually. Have the proper expectations of those who lead. Have the proper expectations of yourself. Um, my second point, the reception of the Thessalonians, or for us, how? what is the expectation placed upon us as church members? Verse 13, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but at what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Paul, he commends the Thessalonians. He says, even though I did my best to preach to you, even though I did my best to serve you well, you did not get stuck on who I was. You did not get stuck on my methodology. Instead, I preached the gospel of God to you, and you receive it not as my own words, but as the word of God. The Thessalonian church, they trusted Paul enough to say, what you're saying to us, we're going to receive as the word of God, and that doesn't mean that they blindly just listened to everything he said and said, okay, this is gospel truth. Um, we have in Acts, uh, who, who are the, Berean, the Bereans? The Bereans were those who, they, they tested what was, what was taught in the church. 
and they were discerning. And if there was error, they would call it out. But the, 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 what Paul is telling us for the Thessalonians is, whatever was preached that was true, they recognize that this is the very word of God that's being spoken to us. And this is um, just a, a little detail about this. The word of God is not the all of scripture. Um, it's referring to verse 9, which is the gospel of God, specifically the message that Paul preached to the Thessalonian church. But uh, that's not to say that the entire scriptures are the word of God. They are the word of God. But in this context, the Thessalonian church, they received what was taught to them as the word of God, meaning that they took it seriously. And I appreciate what David said earlier, which is some of you guys, it's a struggle to get here at church on time. If, if you have a family or if you have breakfast that you want to eat at home, get here late. Um, it's struggle sometimes, and I, I understand it. But what did the Thessalonian church do? They took the word of God seriously. When they came to church, they didn't expect to hear the words of Paul. They expected to hear the word of God. And we should have the attitude as well. That when the word is spoken faithfully, this is the very word of the infinite, powerful creator of the universe spoken to you. Are we looking forward to the word of God being preached with expectation? Like you guys, again, pop culture, um, Taylor Swift, her era's tour, if you guys, I know some of you guys got tickets to her, to her show uh, in San Jose, but or Santa Clara, but people lost their minds trying to get tickets to watch Taylor Swift perform. And I understand she's got good songs, but who of us is that excited about hearing the word of God on Sundays? And how much more powerful and eternal is the word of God? The Thessalonian church, they took the word of God seriously. They were willing to sacrifice for it. They were willing to suffer for it. Verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Paul is referring to the Judean church, and they suffered persecution for believing in Christ, for living faithfully. And the Thessalonian church took what they learned so seriously that they said, we're willing to receive that suffering as well. We're willing to endure the pain, the persecution, because that's what the Bible teaches, because it's worth that much. This was the expectation that the Thessalonian church had for themselves. We're going to hear the word of God. We're going to receive it as the word of God. And if Paul were to take off, if Paul were to mess up and screw everything up, we still have the word of God. And that's powerful. We're willing to suffer for it. We're willing to sacrifice for it. And this should be the expectation of us as well. doesn't matter how cool or uncool, how organized or disorganized this church is. Uh, hopefully we can build up good structures and hopefully we can have more ministries that run more efficiently and hopefully we can have more resources and all that stuff. And I honestly hope we have those things, but those are secondary. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. And according to the Bible, that makes a church. 
the opposition from the enemies. This is my final point. Paul speaks of these enemies of God who persecute the church. And he says they're trying to hinder this gospel work. And yet, the Thessalonian church, they're still enduring. They're still listening. They're still serving. And Paul doesn't say in this text, but this is what's really happening, is these people that were persecuting the church, Paul is one of them. Paul was one of them. Do you remember his story? He suffered. Or he, he made the Christians suffer. He, he chased Christians down, and he, 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 was in, he oversaw the murder of Christians because he hated the message that they taught. He, they hated what they were doing. He hated what they were doing. And yet this is the gospel that transformed Paul. And he says, continue suffering, continue enduring, because this is how powerful the word of God is. You're going to receive opposition. You're going to, you're going to get opposition from what you do. But the message is powerful, and this is the gospel. And this is why we do what we do, because it really is true, we believe. This is why you come on Sundays. Because this is the word of life, this is the word of power, that we were sinners that received judgment and damnation and hell. And God did something about it by sending Jesus Christ to die in our place. We received his perfection and righteousness. We're forgiven of our sins. We're never going to face the wrath of God because the wrath of God was placed on Jesus. And now we receive the love of God. We're sons and daughters of the King. We have eternal life. This is what brings life to our bones. This is what will give you endurance when you suffer through whatever you do. Because it's true. Because it matters. Thessalonian Church Paul says, You hold on. You work hard. You endure. You receive the word of God because the gospel is true. And Indelible Grace Church, we're not a perfect church. Uh, we will never be a perfect church. And if you poke enough, you're going to find lots of flaws. But that doesn't mean that we can't be a faithful church. May it be so for us as we begin this next season of the church. Will you pray with me? Um, God, we uh, are humbled before your word because we recognize, how, we recognize how much we fall short. But I pray that you would make our church one that is true and faithful to what you say, God. I pray that we'd be willing to sacrifice and suffer, that we're willing to be undignified and make fools of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And in these things, God, would you make your power known? I pray that you would make this true of us, and um, I pray that you continue to press the gospel into our hearts so that we will be transformed. I pray this in the name of Jesus, who loved us and died for us. In Jesus' name, amen.